It's a good thing and a bad thing. It can be two good things. It can be two bad things. But I was thinking in my life, and it's kind of a, a silly, just a, a small attention. But I remember in high school, I played uh, baseball, and I loved to play baseball, and I would still love to play if I if I could. It's, baseball is one of those things like once you stop. It's like there's not really like a lot of like adult leagues out there. Like I'm sure there is like basketball you can have like pick up. But once you're done with baseball, it's kind of like, well, I'll never pick up a bat again, you know, kind of thing. But uh, unless you want to do softball, which I was not very successful at. So completely different ball game, okay, softball and baseball. But I played baseball in high school, and I loved to hit, okay. I was a hitter, uh, and I loved to do it, man. I don't know, I just I got, I got pretty good eyesight, and I was pretty good at it. So in, in high school, I was always in the lineup to hit. Now, my fielding skills, that was kind of a different story. I was kind of like so-so on that, you know, getting a pretty tall guy, like getting down, really getting the ground balls and all that stuff. And another part of it is I kind of got bored out in the field, okay. But so there was in me, uh, I, I played first base. I'm a lefty, so that's really where they kind of had to put me. I was always in there to hit, but I got to where I really loved my job of just getting to hit. I always DH for somebody. And baseball is my kind of sport. I played basketball too, but I love baseball, I think, and I'll just be honest, because I think I just like the relaxation. Like in no other sport, like you just go do your job and you just go sit on a bench after. Like you just take, you just take a break, you know what I'm saying? Just like chill out, eating sunflower seeds. And then me and my teammates, we were pretty close. We'd come up with these games that we could play. Okay, one's a circle game. I don't know if you've ever played that before. And then you know, different, you know, tricks that we were doing with our seeds. And we got pretty good about spitting them into this hole and stuff like that. And so, man, I, I'm going to be honest, I like that, okay? I don't know I'm making myself out to be a complete dweeb and dork and not an athlete, okay? But I, would, I'd like, I just got, I liked my job of just hitting and going and sitting down. And so for me, but, but here's the thing is that I could play first really any time that I wanted. We had another first baseman. He was good. We were about the same though. And he could hit. And so he would come to me and he had this same desire within him where he'd kind of just like to hit. So he'd kind of come every game and be like, hey, you want to play first or like me? And it was one of those things, just a rare thing where our coach really it didn't matter to him who plays. We're kind of the same. And there was all this tension in me like, well, I mean, yeah, you can be in the field, you can make some good plays, and kind of people will appreciate that side of it, and you want to be a team player. But then I was always pulled. Like, I remember in warm-ups, I was being pulled. I was, like, looking. I'm like, they're having so much fun over there on the bench. <laughs> you know? It's like Cole just got him real good with the circle game, man. That's the best one I've ever seen. So this tension inside of me that is pulling, and I say all that to say that we have, even in that small example, tensions in our life like that that are just constantly pulling us, and we face those tensions. And we're going to look here in Philippians, Philippians 1, starting in verse 19, of tension that Paul has. And just to give a little background, Paul is writing from prison. Okay, we've been hearing this specific situation and this specific passage we've been looking at. Last week you looked how Paul is in prison. He's wanting to write to encourage the Philippians. He loved the Philippians. The Philippians, they loved him. All right, and so they are concerned about Paul and he's trying to tell them, look, don't be concerned about me. The gospel is spreading. So that is good. And so this week we focus in and we see that the overall, as we're flowing through the book of Philippians, that the, the point and the purpose is that Paul wants them to know and to be encouraged, hey, I'm, I'm okay. I'm doing okay. I want you to know that I'm okay and that because of Christ, and I want you to be encouraged by that and to glory in Christ because of that. But in the midst of him telling that, we see Paul's personal reasons revealed of why he's okay. And we, we see a gospel-centered tension in Paul. Because of what Paul believes in the gospel, there's a tension in his life. And so we'll start there in verse, uh, in verse 19. It says, for, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ that this will turn out for my deliverance. 
Okay, and some, there's kind of some different views, that word for deliverance there. If you look for the original, it's the same word that we would use for salvation. You see the word salvation throughout the Bible, same word here for deliverance. So maybe Paul is, is using that word to, to allude to there's a tension in him, whether it's, it's not necessarily about a physical deliverance from prison, but maybe it just may be meaning in his death that he will still be delivered from his sinful body and to be with Christ. So this will turn out for my deliverance is what he's telling them. He's encouraging them. Verse 20, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with, with full co- courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And here's where we see really the main thought with this tension in Paul in verse 21. For, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain or profit. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed. I'm torn between the two. My desire is to, par- to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And so we see here this tension inside of Paul. And the first thing I want us to see about this tension, this tension exists because of the life-changing power of the gospel. It exists because of the life-changing power in the gospel. If the gospel and Paul's belief in the gospel had not changed his heart and changed his life, then this tension would not exist. And so I want to make the case for us this morning that if we, if, if we are, are people who follow the Lordship or surrender our lives to Christ and he leads our lives and we believe in him as for the forgiveness of, of sin and for salvation and in the good news about who he is and what he has done for us, then this tension exists in our life. On some level, this will exist, what Paul is saying to us. And so we go back and I think about Paul and his testimony. Many of us are very familiar with it, but five to ten years ago, Paul's tension would have been more like, for me to live is to throw Christians in jail, but to kill them would be far better. And so you can see the radical impact that the gospel has made on Paul's life. It has completely changed his heart to where at one time he was persecuting people who believed in Jesus and throwing them in jail and standing there at their deaths. Now he's saying, for me, I want to die for Christ. I want to be with him. I want to make him known. If I'm going to be here living in this life, then I want to make him known. And that's what the tension is in Paul. Is that, man, death would to be with Christ fully face to face, and, but I need, to, I need to stay here because I need to make Jesus known to more people. And I need to continue to help people progress in their faith. And so Paul believes this. This is the gospel message that Paul believes. And Paul would have known, okay, from his Old Testament study, he would have basically had the Old Testament memorized that God is the creator of the universe. And that's where we start with this gospel message. He's the creator of the universe. And so he made everything good and we belong to him. And God, since he's the creator, he's also our judge. And so when, when man, every one of us have turned astray, that, that he is the judge of us, we are accountable to him. And this is where Paul had kind of missed it and that we can see it today. That Jesus came as the fullness of God's character. Not only God as creator and God as judge, but God as, as love, showing himself in mercy and in grace. You don't have to turn there, but this is one of my favorite passages about God revealing his character. He re- he's revealing here in Exodus to Moses. Moses says, God, I want to see your glory. I want to feel the weight of who you are. And God says, in a, just a rare instance, he says, okay, you can't see my face, you'll die, but I will pass by you and let me let you see me. 
And in this exchange between him and Moses, this is what God himself says about himself to Moses. He said, I'm going to tell you what my name is. And I'm going to describe who I am through the character that I am. And it says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, and keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and to the fourth generation. So we see a lot of aspects of God's character in that, in God revealing himself. He's showing that, that he is the Lord. He's showing that he is the judge, that there will be a penalty for sin, but he's also showing that he is a God of faithful love to his people, shown in, in mercy and grace. So Jesus came representing all the fullness of that, the holiness of God, the representation of perfect submission. And then when he died on the cross, that's the epitome of all of God's wrath and God sitting as judge being satisfied by the death of Christ because of his perfect life for us. And then also showing all the fullness of God's love that we see in that Old Testament, all throughout the Old Testament. They're both satisfied, his judgment and his wrath and then also his love. And we see a, a powerful combination of, of love and grace and mercy poured out on the cross. And we put those things together so often. And for me, I just have to sit back and think about what both of those words mean. That, that God's mercy, it's like, man, if somebody came up here and, and was to, and this isn't a perfect illustration, but if you punched me in the face, and then, man, I'll just, I was like, man, I'll just forgive. I'm not going to give you back what you deserve and what you've done for me then I've shown you mercy and then in God's grace is the things where he he gives us so much that we don't deserve it's like just a complete stranger if I go up to you and I just and if I had like a really nice car like a Mercedes or something I just said here man here I don't know you you've done nothing for me here's the keys take it it's yours I'm giving them something that they don't deserve and in mercy I'm not giving you something that you, bad that you do deserve. So I want you to think about that. That's mercy and that's grace. And it's compounded in our salvation and the good news of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us on the cross. And that we deserved all the wrath of God on us and punishment for our sin. But in his mercy, he did not give it to us. That's, that's a lot, just that. But in his grace... In his grace, working with his mercy. Not only did he not give us what we deserve, he gave us so many things that we don't deserve. Our relationship with him, to see him fully one day, that is the best thing that we could ever have. So we see this happening on the cross, and then we see it in his death, and then also in his resurrection, Jesus, God is showing his power over sin in our lives, showing his power, that he can change our hearts and our lives. And so that's what we go back to. This is what Paul believed, okay? This is the gospel. This tension in us exists. I just walked us through the gospel from God as creator to Jesus showing that in his death, fulfilling the wrath and the love of God and his resurrections, that we have power over sin. That shows that, that he has power to, to save us from sin. If somebody asks you, what has Jesus done for you? Jesus has saved you from sin. He saved me from sin. He saved all of us who believe in him from sin. From the past of sin, from the present now. He's changing our hearts to turn us away from it. 
And then the future one day, where completely all the presence of sin, we will be saved from it. And this is what Paul believes, and this is the gospel that he believes, is the gospel we believe in. See how that can create a tension in our lives. To just like the psalm, and I was so reminded of it in the song, there's no guilt in life. We are completely free in this life. That's what Paul is saying. If I'm going to live here in this life, it means fruitful labor for Jesus Christ to make him known because of of the mercy and the grace that he's shown me. I want to tell people about that and I have freedom to do that. And he's saving me from sin right now in this life. But in death, man, complete salvation from the presence of sin because we still struggle in our bodies here today. So this tension first exists because of the, the life-changing power of the gospel. Second, this tension exists because of a love for Jesus. Okay, Paul's desire for life and for death is not rooted in selfishness. Okay, and we'll see this. Let's look back through verse 21. It says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. And here it is. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. You see in Paul a desire for death, but it's not rooted in selfishness. It's very important that we see it's not rooted in selfishness. He's not trying to escape his suffering or his current situation. Because we saw last week and we see all throughout this passage that Paul is, is in his suffering, he is... He's saying that God is getting the glory. The gospel is spreading. So that is, that is a good thing. It's not so that I can necessarily escape this. But it's so that I will be with Jesus face to face. And to see him face to face and encounter Jesus. Paul was very much in love with the person of Jesus. And he knew, okay, just a small bit of, of theology and doctrine here. He knew that, that to be apart from the body was, was to be with Christ. was to be in the presence of Christ. So what does that mean for us? Where does, where does the Christian stand on death? Should just we be super excited about it? You know? And I believe that, that for the half of this tension that we've looked at so far, the answer is, is yes. But not for selfish reasons. Not to necessarily escape all the sufferings and the problems in this life that we have. And I don't want to diminish that this life can, can get us down pretty low, okay? We live in a sinful world with sinful bodies and we struggle with so many things and so many problems. We can see that. That's evident that people desire death for those reasons, to escape that. I just looked up some, some stats on, on suicide. and it's In 2008, this is the latest available data on suicides, there were just over 36,000 reported suicides in the United States. It says that suicide is the fourth leading cause of death for adults. And currently, suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the United States. And so we see, we know the realities of, of this world that it is, it, is, it is dark. And it's sinful because of the sin, that, that the rebellion that we've, we've caused and that we've chosen. But our rejoicing in what we believe about death shouldn't be caused from a selfish escape of our bodies in this world as, as, as Christians and this leads right into the next tension of Paul to live and want to live we should not hate our lives our lives are a gift from God one of the greatest gifts that we have is the, the ability to be in relationship with Jesus now it's to love him now it's to make him known now 
And we see in Paul this, this desire. He, he wants to stand before Jesus fully and know him more intimately than he can while he's here on this earth. And he wants to, he wants to be with him and, and worship him without stopping and without limitation. The greatest thing, man, and we, I think we need to hear this, that the greatest thing about heaven is not going to be about being reunited with loved ones or having flawless, perfect bodies and all the other kind of humorous things that we sometimes make about heaven. It is going to be that we are in the presence of Jesus Christ face to face, worshiping him, praising him continuously and intimately. And if you've ever experienced the moment in your life, and I hope for many of you that you have, where you've just felt the presence and the spirit of God and you've, you've felt such an intimacy with Christ, then this tension, this part of the tension is inside of you that you long to be with Christ in such a personal and intimate way and to worship him. So we see that Paul's desire for, for death is not from selfish reasons. It's out of his love for Jesus, out of his love for Christ. The same way that Paul's desire for life Paul's desire for life is not rooted in wanting to rid himself of his suffering or circumstances. Look in uh, verse, verse 23 to 25 again. He say, he's saying that his desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. It's more necessary on your account. You're not going to hear anything about Paul here, about, man, it's because, oh, man, once I get out of this life and just get out of this suffering and this situation, things will be all good and it'll all look good again. He's saying it's more necessary because of you on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with you all for your progress and your joy in the faith. He wants them to probably, think of all the people that, that Paul has influenced in his life. And he has a, a tension inside of him, a desire to stay with these people that, he has, that God has used him to plant the gospel into their hearts. And he wants them to grow in that faith, in that belief in Jesus. To continually grow, to, to trusting in him more and more. And their joy, that they would find deeper joy in it. So it leads us, and I think on this side of the tension for life is maybe where we struggle the most. Leads us asking, who in my life, who, who, have I, who am I helping to progress in the faith? Who am I helping to progress that they would believe in Jesus more and more? And trust Jesus more and more. Personally, who am I helping? I believe. This is a responsibility. Let's hear this. It is the responsibility of every follower of Christ to help another follower of Christ grow in their faith and their love and their trust in Jesus. All of us. And if you've just become new in the faith, new in Christ, then you... You're going to somebody who doesn't believe in Christ and you're sharing Christ with them and you're taking them to the point that you've been taken. Because you have a story. As we've seen right at the beginning of the, just when I was talking, the, the gospel has changed your life. It's changed your heart. And even though you haven't been walking in that long, that is, that is a miracle in itself. That is a testimony of God's love and God's power that you can share with somebody. So Paul's, Paul's desire for life is not rooted in selfish gain that he would get out of jail and, and become comfortable, okay? It's so that he will, he will be able to continue to help disciple other people and bring other people to belief in the gospel. And then also it's not rooted in him to be, to be a hero. 
in this situation. We can look at Paul in this situation, really all of the situations kind of that he had gotten himself in. And we can say, man, Paul is the hero, but Paul always puts it back on Jesus. Look in verse 26, so that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. He's always putting it back on Jesus. He said, I want you to look at my life. Yeah, these are circumstances, situations in my life where God has given me the faith to to get out of this or to be bold in this situation. But as you look at me, don't look at me in my situation, me as the hero. I want you to look at Christ. He, is, he, is, he has done this in me. This faith that I have in him, he has given me this faith. Do people believe in Jesus and his power more or less when they look into your life? I mean, if they were to look in, in, into your life, into my life, and know everything about it, and just kind of got to follow you around and see your day to day and see your month to month and your year to year. Would they end up believing in Jesus and his power more or less? Do they see this tension inside of us? Do they see that we're taking leaps of faith that, that people who don't believe in Jesus and the gospel would have no reason to take or no boldness to take those leaps of faith? But we do because... It doesn't make sense to everybody, but Jesus is, is calling us to this. And if he's calling us to this, then, man, he is good and, and I can trust him. And he'll see it through. So this tension exists for the love of Christ. And in Paul, it's, it's not selfish. It's to be with Christ. It's, it's to help others grow in their love for Christ. And also third, we see that the tension exists to glorify God. The tension exists to glorify God. I know that we, it seems like all, every time I'm preaching, I end up saying that at the end, but that's just where the text always goes to at the end is that this tension exists to glorify God. And first we see it exists to glorify God in unity. Look in verse 27. Now he's turning his attention. He's been telling his, his personal story about his, his life and this is the hope that he has and the tension that he has inside of him to be with Christ or to live, to be with them so they can grow in the faith in the Christ. Now he's saying that's not just for me, okay? I'm not just superhero Paul, somebody special set aside that I would only have this tension, okay? You believe in the gospel too and now let me show you that this should be the same struggle inside of you and inside of your life. In verse 27 he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Okay, and if you see, you may have a note in your Bible right there, kind of that manner of, of a life word is actually a word that kind of relates kind of a, to where we get our word politics from. And so what it's, what it's literally saying and what he's saying to them, it just doesn't kind of word out good in English. Live as a citizen, conduct yourself as a citizen of the gospel. Live your life in a, in a, in a way that is, is worthy of the gospel. You're, you're like a citizen under its rules, under gospel rules. The gospel shapes what you obey and what you don't obey. Your, your, your belief in it, your trust in it, and that it is saving you. So he's saying you're citizens now of a, of a different world and live worthy of that. If you say you believe in that, then, then don't govern yourselves by what other people, how they live, faithless lives, not trusting in anything. You live a faith-filled, gospel-centered full of tension of death wanting to be with Christ and life wanting to make Christ known, you live a life worthy of that calling as a citizen of the gospel so that whether I come and, and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you. 
that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. The tension exists to glorify God in unity. In unity. We don't suffer and we don't have this tension, just me on my own. That's what Paul is saying. He doesn't just alone have this tension. Everybody who believes in the gospel now is a, a citizen of, a, of this country of the gospel. And we're in this thing together. And he's saying, strive with one spirit. That's the spirit inside of us. That is sending us to tell about Jesus. That is changing our hearts. That is changing our lives. And he's saying, you can do this together. You're missionaries together spreading this message and spreading this gospel tension to other people. Together. One spirit. With one mind. You're doing this with one accord. With agreement. You're striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. I just picture this. I don't know why this is the picture that comes to me, but... I don't know how everybody, and I've never done one, so I, it's, it's just pictures from like TV and stuff, but a marathon or something, you know, like a 5K, they're all lined up getting ready to start, and how crazy it would be, like in a marathon, you just want them to run, right, you don't want nothing slowing, I know like all the, man, every, everything, every little bit of weight counts, like your, your light shirts and all that stuff, and, but I just picture being lined up on that marathon line, but Everybody has a, has a belt tied around their waist and we're all connected together. And we're striving together in our pursuit of Christ and our, our citizens of the gospel and its message and we're, we're doing it together. We're responsible for each other. We're going ahead together. And it does make it that you won't get way out ahead of the pack. You're always saying, I'm bringing somebody with me in my journey towards Christ. I know I have, and I feel we have, especially here in our culture, man, we have really developed an individualistic pursuit of Christ, where I want to run towards Christ with all of these things and get way ahead of everybody. When all that we see throughout the Bible, not only here, is that we should be bringing people along with us constantly. As you're reading in the Word about what Christ is showing you, you should be asking, how can I teach this to somebody? How can I show this to my bud or, or to my friend? Striving together in the faith, and, and God is glorified for that tension, that we live in this tension together for the glory of God in unity. Also, in witness. And our witness, okay, see this in verse 28. He's saying to them, you're not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. They, for some reason, it's, it's not really unknown. I tried to read in and dig into this. The Philippians are, are, are facing some persecution from some people. We don't know exactly who, but they're facing some. And he's saying that when you stand strong in this way and you show that there's no fear of death in you, because you believe in the gospel, because you believe that, that death means that you will be in the presence of Jesus Christ, worshiping him, and that is gain, that is a prophet, that is far better. There's no fear, and so that leads as a witness to those that how can they destroy, how, do, how are we, we can't destroy them. They're not, they're not afraid of death. They say that's even better because they'll get to be with Jesus. We're trying to get them to stop talking about Jesus, and they say if you kill us, that's going to be awesome because we're going to be with Jesus fully and see him. It's a witness. It glorifies God in every way. And then and suffering leads right in. I know you talked a lot about this last week, but in suffering, he just goes back to it again. Verse 29 and 30, For it has been granted to you 
Okay, and that's interesting because when he's saying it's been granted to you, he's saying what he's really saying, it's been graced to you. This is a grace opportunity. You're getting something. Remember we talked about grace. You're getting to be a part of something that you don't deserve. And that that blows our minds because what he's talking about is you get to suffer for Christ. And that's grace. It's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Be engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had and now hear that I still have. In our suffering, much is made of God. And we see that all around the world. And I know there's many stories of martyrs and people that have given their life for Christ. And the one that's just currently going on right now is where the Iranian pastor, Pastor Youssef, he's in jail. He's been there for a while because he, he's a Christian who's trying to convert other people to Christ in Iran. And I'd been hearing about the story, as I'm sure many of you have, but then I kind of looked in it to this week because I knew we were going to be looking at this passage. And I was, just, I was just, and I know we hear things like this all the time, but this is just a real current situation that just reminded me of how much glory God gets from our suffering and from our persecution. It was looking into the, to the, uh, an article, and it said that in September, Pastor Youssef was given four chances to recant his faith. Okay, four times. And now he's facing death. They're supposed to already put him to death, I believe, but now they're kind of extending it. But he's still looking at the possibility of death or life in prison. So he's given four chances to recant his face, but he, he's refused to do so each time. And this is what he said. This is based on the, the court records. He said, repent. You're asking me to repent. Repent means to return. What should I return to? To the blasphemy that I had before my faith in Christ, he asked. This is what one of the judges reportedly replied to him. No, to the religion of your ancestors, Islam. And Pastor Youssef said, I cannot. And he's done that four times. When we hear stories of that, I'm, I'm not grateful for, or I'm not, I'm not boasting in Pastor Youssef. I'm boasting in Christ, right, in our hearts when we hear that. What, what a, a life-changing experience he has had and a love for Jesus that has created a tension inside of him. He, he's relating to Paul here. To, to, to die would be for Christ and to be with Christ. And to live is to be about making Christ known, especially in his situation. So as we're thinking about this, this tension in us, I believe that the greatest enemy, the greatest enemy to our lives and not being about this gospel tension about life and death with Christ, for Christ, is going to be the idols that we place in our lives. The things that, that we will worship instead of Christ. So I believe if we're going to have this tension, it is going to mean love for Jesus. Can't you see it in Paul? Can't you see how it would have to be in us that man, we would really have to love Jesus? To want to die and know we'll be with him and want to live and only be about him. So the idols that we place, if, if, if there's no pull within us to want to be with Jesus completely, fully, intimately, like Paul wanted, then we need to ask ourselves, what object or what item in this temporary life and in this temporary world have we began to love more than him? And if there's no pull within us to say, man, I gotta, I gotta stay here longer so I can, I can make the name of Jesus great and make it known. 
make disciples within my family, within my community, within my city here, within where I live and within the nations. And that's all that I want to be about and what I want to be about. That we need to ask ourselves, what have we begun to adore more? And what other mission in this life has, has sidetracked us from the mission, his mission that he's given us? All of those things that we substitute for Christ are idols in our lives. And it's the greatest enemy to the gospel tension that we should face. So as we close, I just want to ask that if everybody would just just bow their head for a moment. Guys, you guys can come up. I just want to give us a little bit of time just before we take communion. I'll give instructions on that in a minute. These guys are going to start playing when they get up here. Just time to examine our hearts and our lives together. And you may want to do this not just as an individual or maybe some things that as an individual you need to just get you and God, but maybe as a community, maybe with your wife or your husband or friends or a relationship that you have or somebody in your community group and just examine together what are the idols that are keeping me from wanting to be with Christ because I love him? What have I replaced my love with? And then in this life, what, what mission or what, what has distracted me from being all about making him known and helping others progress in their faith and their joy in the faith like we see from Paul? So as you guys play, we're just going to have that moment and then we're going to lead into communion. into a time of just having communion. I want this time to serve as just an opportunity for us as you come up and you may need to form a line at the table or, or whenever you're ready. Here as the guys begin to sing, you can begin to come. That Break off a piece of that bread and remind it of the body of Christ. And as you dip it there into the cup, remind it of the blood of Christ. That, that in his death and in his resurrection, all of the penalty of sin and all of the wrath of God was put on Christ. 
And not only that, but now all the power that you feel like sin has in your life, that is a lie. Christ has defeated the power of sin in your life. So let that, that this time serve as a reminder of that. You may also want it to serve as a reminder that, man, of the tension that should be within us because of what we believe and just renew that, that Jesus, I want to I renew pursuing after you. Not being afraid of death and suffering. And also in this life, I want to be about pursuing you and bringing others with me in that pursuit. And let, let the time here in communion be a reminder of that because that only happens because of Jesus Christ and what he's done and how he's changing our hearts and our lives. So these guys begin. You can stand now to your feet and as you're ready, just come up and take of the bread and, and dip it into the cup.